Tim, please come serve us by bringing us God's word this morning. Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is uh, Tim Shorey. I'm one of the pastors here. If you are new to us, I just want to greet you and thank God you're with us. And we love to hear God's Word preached. We love to be in the Word. So would you open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. We are in a series of messages through Ephesians uh, that's going to take us somewhere around 12 to 15 months to complete. Uh, And I hear the snickers there. It is going to be 12 to 15. This is, I actually preached through Ephesians, first series I ever preached uh, back in 1982. And uh, I did it in 100 messages. So just want you to know we are hurrying through it, uh, it these days. This, this is fast paced right here. Ephesians 1, it's a series of messages entitled simply In. What does it mean to be in Christ? What does it mean to uh, be sharing in, be in union with Jesus and all that he is and all that he has? And I trust that we've already been blessed as we've moved through the early verses of this letter. I want to pick up our reading now with verse 15 of chapter 1. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints... I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet, and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we feel and know every day of our lives the weakness of our own existence, of our own faith, of our own hearts, the weakness of our wills in the face of temptation. We feel every day the frailty and brokenness of our world. This week, O Lord, how we've been reminded of how far removed planet Earth is from what it was created to be. A young man has passed from this life into the next, leaving behind 
the wife and children. And our hearts ache and break. Long for the restoration of all things. Human beings made in your image, Lord, in another part of the world, but somehow so deceived and so affected by Satan that they would render terror over a city, over Paris, and kill 130 out of hatred. A world that is full of warfare, strife, bigotry, barbarity, poverty. Oh Lord, would you please show us this morning who reigns? Speak these words to us, Lord, not... Not just to somehow or other affect our brains, our minds, but speak these words so that they will touch us in the deepest places and restore us and strengthen us in the face of all that is wrong in this world. So that we will know, we will know that we know, that we know, that we know. That there is one sitting on the throne who is high and lifted up. Whose glory fills the heavens and the earth. Who will reign until every enemy has made its footstool. And he will be all in all. Lord, teach us this. I pray in the name of that high and holy one, Jesus Christ. Amen. We have been looking at this text of Scripture to learn all that we have in Christ. And last week we saw that Paul was a man. Paul was a man who was full of affections toward others, gratitude for others, praise toward God. His heart was full of love. His heart was full of, of, of thanksgiving. His heart was full of hope. And having observed in the life of these Ephesians, much grace. He says in verse 15, he has heard of their faith in Jesus, their love for all the saints. He, he thanks God for these things, but then he turns it into prayer. He wants to make sure that God is praised for the grace already received, and then God is petitioned for more grace. He wants these Ephesians to experience more and more of what God intends for them in Christ. And so, he prays in these verses, he prays for three things, that they would know better the hope that they have, the riches that they inherit, and the power that they possess. And I would pray this for all of us, that we would know the hope that we have, that we would know the riches that we inherit in Christ, that we would know the power that we possess in Him. We saw the first of those two last week. This morning, we look at the power that we possess in Christ. The power that is at work 
in us. And I think the point that God wants us to go home with is simply this. We should pray to know and live to show the power of God in the church. We should pray to know and live to show the power of God in the church. In, in a world that is full of perversity and bigotry and poverty and cruelty and barbarity, we should pray to know and live to show the power of God that is in the church. I want our hearts to go home with that this morning. And in order to get there, I want to I just open up the text that's in front of us under several headings. We're going we're gonna to look at the recipients of God's power, the vastness of God's power, the demonstrations of His power, the need for this power, and our access to this power. So those are, those are the points for this morning as we move along. First of all, the recipients of this power. Notice verse 15, or verse 19, I'm sorry. He prays that we would know what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe. God's, God's promise of power is for believers, those who believe that Jesus is their Savior and Lord. God's power offered to us doesn't come, or it does come, with some terms attached to it. We, we must repent of our sins and believe in Jesus. We must have faith in Christ. We must believe that He died for our sins. The atonement, we've been singing of it this morning. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. We must believe that after He died for our sins... He rose from the dead, victorious over the grave, over sin, over Satan, over hell. That he, he rose from the dead. We must believe that He is Lord. We must believe that He is on the throne. We must believe that He is King Jesus. We must believe that heaven is filled with His glory even now. We must believe that Jesus is Savior and Jesus is Lord. Not just believing here, but believing here. Not just believing in some kind of, okay, I guess I can go with that. No. We must believe in such a way that we are surrendered to it. That, that He is our Savior. He is our Lord. He is our King. He is our Redeemer. He is our Atonement. He is our hope. We must believe in Christ. The promise of power comes to those who believe. But he goes on. It's important to notice, to realize that the power at work here is not just for our personal, individual lives as believers, but it is a power for the church. Notice verse 22. He put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. You need to know as we get started in Ephesians that Ephesians is very much about the church. It is not just about what we have in Christ as individuals, but what we have in Christ together as the church. In Ephesians, Paul references the church one way or another at least 35 times in six chapters. If you know anything about Bible study, you know that probably means something. 35 times in six chapters, Paul talks about the church or the body of Christ or all the saints or the household of God or the temple of God. 
35 times it comes back to this. It is about Christ and His church. We Americans are very individual, aren't we? We're very much about me. We're very much about our own personal salvation, our own personal relationship with God. And friends, if it doesn't start personal, if it's not between you and God, then you don't have it. You need to have it personal. It needs to start there, but it can't end there. The purpose of God is not just to rescue you or me. The purpose of God is to rescue us together as His people. To form us into His body. To form us into His church. New Testament Christians found their identity in Christ in the church. And that's why throughout the New Testament, what happened? People repented of their sin, believed in Christ, were baptized and added to the church. Repented of sin, believed in Christ, were baptized, added to the church. New Testament Christianity is about identifying with Christ and with the church, becoming a part of the body of Christ. No lone rangers in the New Testament. No, no maverick Christians. No individual, isolated islands of independence. If, if you and I want to experience the fullness of the power of God, we must be where that power is active. Where it's working and it's in the church. It's in the church universal with all believers, but local in a body of believers that come together to serve the kingdom of God together. It is for the church. It's for those who believe in Christ in the church. Fundamental to our identity. This is who you are. If you're a Christian here, this is who you are. You're in Christ in the church. In Christ as part of the church. And being in Christ as part of the church This power of God is yours. In the face of all that's going on in the world, friends, we must realize that in the church, God's power is present and it's active. We are not frail. We are not doomed to defeat. We're not bound to fail. We're not vulnerable. We're not vincible. We are not infirmed. We are not lame. We are not powerless. We are strong. We are mighty. We are powerful. We are victorious. We cannot be defeated. We cannot be defeated because we are in Christ in the church. How strong are we? Well, we have all strength because we are in Christ in the church. Now, I want you to see the vastness of this power. I want you to see how big it is. Look at verse 19. Paul says, I want, I'm praying that you would know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power. All right, we've got to pause here. This is a phrase that is so loaded up with significance that you skim right over it. Miss it. Don't miss it. The immeasurable greatness of his power. The word immeasurable means that which surpasses, that which excels, that which transcends, that which goes far beyond what we can comprehend or imagine or think. This is immeasurable, transcending, excelling, superlative power. But, but notice, notice that Paul doesn't really say that it's immeasurable power. He speaks of the immeasurable greatness of the power. To to speak of power on its own is pretty impressive. I mean, just think about power. Power is 
energy. It's, it's, it's a force. It's, whether it's in a tiny atom or wherever it is, just power is, is something impressive on its own. You could speak of power and say, oh, this is good. We got power. Or you could, you could add to it, we have great power. We have greatness of power. That's a, that's a different level of power. It's not just power, but it's greatness of power. Or you could do what Paul says and say we have immeasurable greatness of power. It's not the power that's immeasurable. It's the greatness of the power that's immeasurable. This is immensity that is immense. This is bigness that is really big. You know, you know my love for sequoias, and you're just going to have to live with this. I love the sequoias. And, and I know I referenced them, and some of you have probably heard this already, but it just, you got to, sequoias trees for me are the picture of bigness. You know, if you're driving down the road, you see a cell phone tower. Right, the average cell phone tower is about 150 feet tall, maybe, maybe, maybe 10 feet wide at the base. Well, I'm here to tell you that you could fit 15 of those inside of a sequoia, standing, and then 15 more on top of it. So the next time you're driving around down the road, you see a cell phone tower. Imagine something in which 30 of those could stand and you have a sequoia tree. There is bigness and then there is big bigness. There is immensity and then there is immense immensity. Paul says there is power, there is greatness of power and then there is immeasurable greatness of power. This is the vastness, the immensity of the power of God that is at work in us. This is no small trickle of power. This is immense strength. The Lord God Almighty, the Lord God Omnipotent, He who has measureless power is pouring that power into us and into His church. And to, and to make sure that we get the magnitude of it, Paul proceeds here to give to us three demonstrations of this power. Listen to them. These are, these are three ways that power has been active. He attaches three verbs to this power. First of all, in verse 20, it's the power that raised Jesus from the dead. This is the power that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Paul's saying that the power that's at work in the church is the power that was at work in the grave. The power that, was, that is at work in your life, in our lives together, our life together as the church, is the power that broke the bonds of death that were holding Jesus. That was no ordinary run-of-the-mill resurrection there, folks. This, you know, there was the Lazarus thing. That was pretty impressive. But the resurrection of Jesus was far bigger, far greater. We understand, don't we, that the Bible teaches that Satan has the power of death. That somehow or other, Satan has been given the freedom to be a murderer, Jesus says, from the beginning. He is a killer. He loves to destroy. He loves to bring about death. That's what all the mess in this world is about. 
Satan loves to kill. He loves to destroy. And he, if he could, he would hold the dead dead forever. And you can be sure that if he has the power of death, if somehow or other that for a season has been given to Satan, then he would want to exercise that power fully in keeping Jesus dead. When Jesus died and was put in the grave, that was not just a ho-hum moment for the enemy. That was a moment where every force of hell and power of hell and chain of hell, every single conceivable resource the enemy had, Satan had, would have come together and converged on that spot. Keep Jesus dead. And God raised him. God in that moment defeated hell. God in that moment defeated him who had the power of death. He bound the strong man. He conquered hell. He conquered the grave. He incinerated the chains as if they were just straw before a furnace. Death was gone. Death was done. Death was defeated. This is the power that raised up Christ. God stormed the grave and set His Son free. And He crushed Satan and stomped Him under His heel. And death died in that moment. And the beginning of the renewing and the restoration of all things began. And that's still going on. And he will make all things new because on that day, he was raised from the dead. This is the power that is at work in us. It's the power that raised Jesus from the dead. Secondly, it's the power that seated Jesus in the highest place. It seated Jesus in the highest place. Look at verse 20. This is the power that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. This is the power that is at work in us. It raised Jesus from the dead. Didn't just raise him, bring him back to life. It lifted him. It exalted him. It elevated him to the right hand of God. It seated him in the heavenly places. And Paul says, far above all other authorities and powers. Not just above. He actually uses a, a strange Greek word that kind of means beyond above. So you get above, above. This is far above. High above. All other powers. He is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. In the book of Ephesians, those phrases, rule, authority, power, and dominion, refer primarily to demonic forces of evil that are present and active in the world. Remember chapter 6, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. It's, these are spiritual forces of evil. And, and remember that in Ephesus, the occult was prominent. Remember that from our first message. The, the demonic was everywhere. And, and Paul is saying to the Ephesians, Jesus is above them all. Jesus rules over all of them. And throughout the Scriptures, it seems that not only are these, there are these demonic powers and authorities, but these demonic powers and authorities also affect and influence human powers and authorities. 
And so any corruption we see in government all the way to local, to national, to ISIS has some kind of demonic influence there. But Jesus reigns over it all. Everyone is under Him. Friends, the Bible's clear that what we see is not all there is. The Bible is clear that there are realms and dominions and powers that are all around us. Some of them are good. Some of them are evil. But all of them are under Jesus. There is, there is Michael, the archangel. There's Gabriel. There's a whole host of angelic beings that are on the side of good. There's Lucifer or Satan and a whole host of evil powers that have but one hate-filled obsession, and that's to oppose God and corrupt body and soul and kill and destroy. But Paul wants us to know that Jesus is above them. He is far above them. In fact, they are way out of their league with Jesus. And in their few sane (coughs) moments, they tremble. And quake. Remember James's words. The demons believe and tremble. In their sane moments. Where they stop and think about the one that they're up against. They tremble. And they quake. And they cower. And they whimper. Because Jesus is Lord. And he is far above. Paul says. Every name that is named both in this age and in the age to come. That means there is not a single person, there is not a single power that has ever lived, that lives now, or ever will live, that has a name like Jesus, that has an authority like Jesus, that has a place and a throne like Jesus. No name is higher than His name. And at His name, Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God demonstrates his power in that he raises Jesus from the dead, seats him at his right hand, and then third, subjects all things to Jesus for the church. Verse 22. He is far above all authority and power and God has put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The power of God is such that it's working in and through Jesus to raise him from the dead, seat him at his right hand and then Jesus doesn't just get there being higher than all and then do nothing. He is there higher than all and is now bringing into subjection all things. Everything is being subjected to Christ. Every disease, every demon, every barbarian, every terrorist, every bigot, every sinner, every person who refuses to bend the knee to Jesus now will bend the knee to Jesus. And he is subjecting it all to Christ. And notice it says, and he has given him, 
verse 22. He put all things under his feet and gave him the risen, ascended, ruling Christ. Gave him as head over all things to the church. Jesus as Lord is his God's gift to us as the church. He reigns and rules for us. He is sovereign for us. He is working in our behalf. Over every enemy, every foe, every power, every demon, everything. Jesus is Lord for us. And at the end of it all, we are going to reign with him. And even the angels will be subject to us on that day. Because we will be in Christ. So, so what, why does this matter? Well, it, it matters because, well, if you're a Christian here this morning, you are in Jesus. He's on the throne, that means you are too. He reigns, that means you do too. He's defeating his enemies, that means you will too. He is Lord, that means in some strange way, we are Lord over our addictions, our bondage, our fear, our sin, our bigotry, our selfishness, our pride, our self-righteousness. We have dominion. We can have dominion over it all because we are in Christ. Whatever it is that grips you and binds you and ensnares you, you have power because you have Christ and you are in Him. Oh, we could go on in Ephesians and just see how, how much we need this power. Paul goes on in this book to, to talk about various spiritual enemies that we that we come up against. In chapter 2, he talks about racial discord and the hostility that exists, that dividing wall of hostility that exists between believers. And Paul says that in Christ, that gets torn down. That gets torn down. We need the power of God to tear down our racial discord. He talks about internal spiritual insecurity, how, how we, we just don't know and experience the love of God the way that God wants us to. And so he prays in chapter 3 that, that we would be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man so that we would know the length and the height and the depth and the breadth of the love of God. We need power for that because in our, it, it takes power to understand how much God loves us. So we need to tap into that power. Or it may be moral impurity that we're up against. In chapter 5, he, he, tells us, he tells us not only that we're not to get involved in sexual immorality, we're not even supposed to joke about it. And not to make light of it. Oh, that takes a power that I don't have in myself, but I have in Christ. Paul goes on and talks about chemical addictions. Do not be drunk with wine in which is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. What's he saying? There's power in Christ to defeat the bondage of your addictions. He talks about family discord. Remember he talks about wives, how they're to relate to husbands, husbands, how they're to relate to wives, and parents and children, and you know. One of the big battlegrounds of our life. One of the big weak parts of our life. Paul says there's strength in Christ. 
And he, and he ties it all together in chapter 6 by, again, just saying, you know, we're not really at the end of the day wrestling against flesh and blood, but we are wrestling against spiritual forces of evil. Therefore, he says in chapter 6 and verse 10, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. You cannot defeat spiritual forces of wickedness in your life apart from the strength of God. This power is at work in us so that we can overcome spiritual death and racial discord and insecurity and disunity and sinful desires and family squabbles and demonic attacks. We need this power because we're in a war zone. We need this power because the enemy is real and the enemy is stronger than we are except in Christ. And so... And so there is power. There is this great might, this immeasurably great power that is at work in us. The power that raised up Jesus. The power that seated Him in the heavenly places. Far above all powers of hell and sin. And it's the power that subjects all things to Christ for the church. That power is in us in the face of all these needs and all these enemies that we have. Now how do we access that power? How do we get there from here? Well, in one sense, friends, the point that Paul is making is that we are already there. This power is already in us. If if you've come to faith in Christ, you know how that happened? Chapter 2. You were dead in sin. He made you alive in Christ. That means you've already experienced the almighty omnipotence of God in your life. He brought you from death to life. You would never have believed if he hadn't done that. I'm here to tell you. You were walking in hatred toward God. So was I. We were running as fast as we could away from God. We didn't want anything to do with God. We loved sin and hated God. Every one of us, born that way. The psalmist says, we are going astray from the womb. <laughs> I mean, we're on, a, we're, we're on the fast track. Breakneck speed, running away from God. The moment we're born. Dead in sin. But now made alive in Christ. If you're a believer, it's because the power that raised Jesus from the dead has raised you from the dead. So the power is already in us. But the reality is, don't, isn't it, that we need, to, we need more infusions of power. We, We need power for each day. We need access to this power. And as you study Ephesians, you come to find out that there is a strong connection between prayer, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and the experience of this power. That the way we access the power is by the Spirit through prayer. We must pray in the Spirit, by the Spirit, for the Spirit, that we can be filled with the Spirit in such a way that we have fresh infusings and empowerings from God. We, we just see it right here in the, in the text, right? In Ephesians 1, this is exactly what Paul connects here. He says in verse 17, My prayer is that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you what? The spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him that you may know your hope, you may know your inheritance, and you may know your power. 
Paul, said, Paul realized that if these Ephesians, if we were going to know the power of God in the church, then the Spirit of God was going to have to illuminate us. He was going to have to work in us to help us know that. There's connection, prayer, spirit, power. Prayer, spirit, power. We see the same thing in chapter 3. Paul prays in verse 14. This reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of His glory He may grant you to be strengthened with power. How? Through His Spirit in your inner being. How are we going to know the love of Christ? That's what he goes on to ask God for. How are we going to know the love of Christ unless we are strengthened with power through the Spirit in our lives? Prayer, Spirit, power. Connected. One more time in chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. And then he goes on to give us the spiritual armor of God. And he concludes it in verse 18 saying, Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Prayer, Spirit, power. How are we strong in the Lord and in His might? Prayer, Spirit, power. We must be a people who do not rely on our own strength. We must be a people who do not think that, well, somehow or other, we've, we've already got enough access or enough power and, and we can just kind of do it now on our own. We, we must be a people individually and as a church that realize we need, desperately, we need fresh fillings of the Spirit to give us power to overcome our enemies to overcome sin, to, to know the love of God. And so we must pray and then pray and then pray again. Brothers and sisters and friends, we need, we need to know and live. We need to pray to know and live to show the power of God in the church. This is God's answer to the messed up problem that we call planet Earth. This is God's answer to the messed up problem that we call our own personal individual lives. If we will renounce individualism, if we will renounce our independence, if we will renounce our self-sufficiency, and if we take our stand together in the church, in Christ, and pray that we may know and then live that we might show the power of God in the church, then and only then, then and only then, will we overcome the perversity of our own hearts. Then and only then will we overcome the bigotry of our times and the barbarity of our world and the cruelty of our own nature and the poverty that's in our streets and the tyranny of our addictions and the dysfunctionality of our families and the frailty of our hearts and the insecurity of our souls. Only, only as we are a people of prayer, dependent on the Spirit of God, will we access the power of God in our lives. And so individually, pray without ceasing. And as a church, whether we are gathered
congregationally on a Sunday morning or in our community groups or in our times of fellowship or in our leadership team meetings as the pastors gather wherever we are, we must give ourselves to prayer. Because while we have all power available to us in the all-powerful one, we need to taste it and experience it and feel it and live in the good of it today. And so as we, as we close this morning, we want, we want to apply this immediately to our life. We want to have a season of prayer. I'm going to ask Stevie if he would come and just, or is he, just come and assist us. We want to have a time of prayer. I'm going to ask Alex to, to lead us in prayer at the microphone over here. And then if there, there are any others who in hearing this message just have a desire to pray, just, just to call out to God, um, that God in His Spirit, by His Spirit, would come with His power on the church, on this church, on His churches everywhere, on the church everywhere. That in those places where there's persecution and terror, this church will be strong. That they would know the power that is at work. In your life, battling your addictions, your burdens, your craziness, your grief, your depression, your weakness, that the power of God would fall on you. In this church, as we do mission together, witness to our neighbors and try to bring the power of the kingdom of God into people's lives. Oh, that that power would be manifested by the Spirit. If, if you have a heart to lead in prayer, would like to just follow Alex up, please uh, feel free to do that as Alex begins and then I'll close in just a moment. we praise you for the immeasurable greatness of this power to us who believe. Lord, we know that it is not by might nor by strength, but by your power. Lord, we pray that you would give us a fresh infilling of your spirit, of the Holy Spirit this day and every day. Lord, we need this. God, I need this. I pray that you would Help me, help us as a church to walk according to the Spirit so that we won't give in to the desires of our sinful flesh. I pray that where there is insecurity and doubt, Holy Spirit, bear witness, testify, make known to our spirits that we are children of God, that, that you are our Father, that we can call you Abba, Father. Lord, where we don't even know how to pray, Holy Spirit, pray for us with groans that words cannot express where there is racial hostility, discord, and prejudice in our hearts, Lord, in this church. Holy Spirit, tear down those walls, Lord, that we might maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Lord God, where there is sin and temptation, Lord, where there is temptation to be drawn away into 
the world and the things of this world, where we are tempted by Satan, where we are led astray by our own sinful lust. Holy Spirit, help us to put to death those sinful desires. Holy Spirit, make us a praying people that we might be praying continually, not relying on our own strength, not relying on our own power because we know that we can fall on our own. But Holy Spirit, you can make us stand and walk in victory. So fall, fill this place, fill our hearts, Lord. We pray, we ask, we beg, Lord, we need you now. Spirit of God, would you come upon us in such a way that our gaze is lifted up to you. Lord, give us eyes in our hearts and even our physical eyes, Lord, to behold your great glory. And Lord, would you consume us with that glory? Would you satisfy us with that glory? Would that glory be come our joy and our delight 